Welcome to The Complete Musician, creativity at its core, exploring innovative musical ideas, thoughts, and techniques for the modern musician in today's society, with your hosts, James Nagus and Drew Phillips. Welcome to The Complete Musician. I'm Drew. I'm James. And welcome back to episode five. It's been quite a long summer. I know both of us have been very busy, but we're both excited to get back into podcasting and kind of pick up where we left off on the last episode, even though the last one was summer chops. So, Yeah, talking about when uh, and how to get back into shape after that long summer hiatus of not playing. But that's not what we're talking about today. Um, today, I think we're going to pick up from our compositional side of things and talk about the next steps for when you're writing. Because um, last time, what were some of the limitations we talked about? Some of the limitations uh, in writing your first piece that we decided before you even put pen to paper were thinking about instrumentation, you know, what instruments you're writing for, uh, the length of the piece, so that you know kind of an approximate time of how long you want it to be, and what the form is, uh, how many sections you want to repeat, or what kind of motives and things you want to come back. And so I think a lot of those are kind of structural in a way, right? We're not really haven't we haven't talked about music yet necessarily. So I think the next step logically is to put some more musical elements in. Um, starting with how about key? Right now we're actually putting some uh, pencil to paper and getting down to some of the the nitty gritty of actually writing music. Um, Key is really important when you're thinking about actually putting music down uh, because dependent on what instruments you're writing for, some keys are good and some keys are not so familiar to them. Or if you're a horn player, all key signatures are just the worst thing ever. You should never write in a key for horns. Just kidding. You can, but we don't prefer it. Or if you're my oral skills kids, uh, doing a dictation in B major is also pretty terrible, but I'll take the blame for that one. So uh, when I say some keys are more familiar for others, I'm thinking specifically of things like string instruments who don't usually see flat keys when they're first starting. So usually they like to see lots of sharps in the key signature. And band instruments or a lot of wind instruments are typically flats. And, And both of these cases are just because that's the key that the instruments are natively in. Yeah, a lot of those concert bands start in B-flat major and for the help of those instruments like clarinets and trumpets. So when you're writing a lot of sharp keys like B or E, the way they transpose can make it kind of scary. But on the flip side, strings, it would work a whole lot better. So depending on the instrumentation, key is really important. Another thing to think about when you're actually putting pen to paper, uh, again, relating to the number of instruments or the kind of instruments you're writing for, is to think about balance. Balance between more than one instrument can sometimes be a struggle depending on what you're writing for. And if you don't have good balance, you'll probably just fall over. (laughs) But, well, I mean, practically balance, you know, we can think of it in terms of a whole big orchestrational thing. Or more simply, say you have two instruments. Say you're writing for, I don't know, flute and trombone. Well, obviously, you're dealing with range issues there, but balance-wise, I'm just guessing that a trombone would likely play louder than a flute, especially if the flute was in the low range. I don't know. Have you ever sat next to a piccolo player? 
Yeah, it was one time back in 1963, and my left ear has never forgotten it. When you walked uphill 20 miles to school in the snow? Both ways, just to sit next to a piccolo. <laughs> yeah, so balance between two of those instruments can be kind of tough because of the range, like you said. So when you're writing your first piece, uh, if you're just writing for a solo instrument or writing for yourself, you don't necessarily have to worry about that so much. But otherwise, just kind of familiarize yourself with the general acoustic properties of the instruments and how one might project over another more naturally and just how to respond accordingly. As you get more advanced in your writing, uh, balance becomes more of an issue, especially when you include a lot more instruments. Like one project that I'm going to have upcoming is writing a concerto for two bassoons and concert band, which Whoa. presents a whole mess of problems. Has anything been written for that before? Well, I think there was a concerto for uh, for wind ensemble and bed. Oh, sorry. I mean for bassoons. Sorry. Oh, um, just kidding. We love you, our fun uh, bedposts. But anyway, yeah, this uh, the balance in that is going to be kind of difficult. And so when I'm thinking about writing, uh, again, when I put that the pen to paper and start deciding on notes and deciding about balance, I really have to think about things like how loud can a bassoon play versus how loud can a concert band play? Totally different. And these are some things, too, that you may have initial ideas of what you want to do, but you won't really know what it sounds like until real people play it. And I know a lot of editing work, and I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves here since we haven't really written the piece yet, but a lot of the balance editing work happens at the very end, even sometimes after the first run-through or even the first full performance of a piece, because that's the first time you really get a sense for how it sounds. That's really true. Um but it is something you can have in mind as you're, you're writing, is making sure to, to think as you're actually putting the music down about what kind of loud instruments may be playing. Would you want a solo instrument or a melody to be prominent? You don't want to cover it up just because you have a much louder instrument playing with maybe a softer instrument. So we talked before about key, and this kind of naturally leads itself into another consideration, which is accessibility. And for me, accessibility is essentially asking how many people can play this piece. Do I want to write this piece to the top 1% or 0.1% of performers and just have it be the most virtuosic thing? Or do I want to make it more accessible for either just altruistic reasons or because I want to sell more copies of it? Altruistic is a great word, by the way. Yeah, uh, when you think about accessibility, the more accessible maybe the lower level of a piece, the more people are going to play it, and the more you can get more uh, exposure for what you're writing, which is exciting that you get to share your music with more people. And sometimes accessibility is just knowing about who you're writing the piece for and their abilities and their capabilities as a performer. Uh, maybe they're, you know the Yanni of the New Age piano world, or maybe they're just um, a one year in plunking out a couple of notes at a time. You got to know this stuff. As you're writing that music down uh, and thinking about those notes that you're going to put in, like James said, think about, uh, think about the people you are writing it for. I think both of us are pretty lucky that we write specifically for people and people who are actively going to play our compositions. So we know who we're writing for um, and what they can do uh, and what they like to do so 
uh, if you know who you're writing for, you can think of the level and that, uh, you're, you're putting the notes and thinking about range, thinking about difficulty, um, and that, that really informs you as to the pitches you're going to put down. And I think in a later episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about working with particular people, whether you're writing for someone and, and how to even approach um, a performer or musician and talk to them about this. But one thing to start kind of thinking about, um, like you mentioned, is perhaps how you should write for someone or what you should and shouldn't do. And like you said, we've both written for some, I'm fortunate enough to, to write for some very virtuosic players. One example for me is my piece Harvest Light for uh, Horn Choir and Solo Horn was written for Bernard Scully. That sounds like this. sounds like that and uh anyway he's a virtuosic musician and i could have written anything and he would have been able to play it but then he, only he would have been able to play it yeah so, who else would have been able to play like bernard scully not me that's for sure me neither um and since i knew that i had to play it one day i thought nope i'm gonna make this a little bit easier so I considered the accessibility and the capability of the performer, in that case being myself and others compared to these amazing musicians. When I got lucky enough to write for Radovan and Blackovich and Bob Ward um, and the Bay Brass Ensemble, I wrote a two-horn and brass ensemble piece called Radiance for two horns. And it sounds like this. sounded like that uh they had very limited uh rehearsal on this and although being rather than being an international soloist and bob being the prince warren of the san francisco symphony like james said i could have literally written anything but because of time constraints and because i also wanted other people to be able to play this with maybe not as limited rehearsal but without struggling too much uh, i decided to tone it down and just write um with something that they could really nail so i didn't write as hard as i possibly could even though the capability of them was obviously extremely high and in both of those instances we were writing for horn which was something that we're both very familiar with but there are many times um that we write for things like if you're writing for bassoons coming up i i don't know much about bassoons you probably know more than i do in terms of um their their technical abilities and composition because you have written a wind quintet before all I know is that they play that Rite of Spring thing over and over and over. Oh, they're so proud of that. Oh, it's too high. Should have just been written for the oboe. Just kidding. Or the oboe d'amour, which is a beautiful instrument. It is. But we digress. Um, so one thing you can do if you're not as familiar with these 
types of instruments or what the instruments are particularly good at is just, again, do more research. Find recordings, find pieces that you think do things, uh, present the instruments in a really good way, or just simply ask people of that instrument, hey, what's good? What's the good rep? And then find the scores, listen to the recordings, and uh, steal, um, I mean, imitate as much as <laughs> you can. We're all thieves as composers. Yeah, I think of a lot of the research that uh, we've done comes from listening to uh, pieces of other instruments. And like you said, emulating what we've heard. I know that's informed me when I've written before uh, a horn and piano piece. One of the first I ever wrote was called A River Lullaby. And right before I wrote that piece, I had just come from a recital by a friend where a piano accompaniment sounded really like a harp strumming up and down the instrument. And I thought it was really neat. And so to emulate that, I specifically composed an accompaniment in uh, that piece that sounded like a harp going up and down like this. Like that. So I definitely emulated and stole that, and and I know that the piano is is really good at, at having that sustained continuous sound and kind of that up and down glissing kind of sound. So I, I really tried to steal from it. And an example of something that I did was in my uh, piece Incursions, which is my quasi trombone sonata. And uh, one thing that trombones do really well, almost to a cliche, is glissando. Womp, womp, womp. Exactly. So, you know, you could go one way and take it way too far. Uh, There are certain band composers that seem to have an obsession with it, not going to name names. You know who you are. (laughs) But um, once in a while, peppering it in can be quite effective little musical gesture. And so I did that in the piece. In the the, um, second movement, it sounds like this. So the last thing we want to talk about in this episode is the title. Now, like every child who wants to be loved, every piece needs a title. Per Jeff Agrell. Per Jeff Agrell, who always has the most creative titles. Uh, I personally struggle sometimes coming up with titles. I think we mentioned in another episode that we go through random title generator on the internet. Yeah, well, sometimes you just find a word, plug it into a thesaurus, and then find a much cooler-sounding version of that word. Yeah. Um, It can be great, though, to start with a title, because that can uh, give you direction or a mood or some sort of muse or inspiration. Or maybe even the title can, you know, if you spell it out, give you the first couple notes of your melody. Like Bach. Mm, There's no homages to that. No, clearly not. So when you're writing for the first time, again, these get more specific, these ideas do, into actually putting pen to paper and getting notes out on pages. But they're still all steps that both James and I go through when we write every single composition, thinking about key, balance, accessibility, the capability of your performer. Uh, We do research and steal from things that we want to emulate, and then thinking about the title. And it's actually kind of funny. I was thinking... Initially, 
we were saying, you know, hey, you're finally going to put pen to paper and write. And, well, we gave you a whole bunch of more kind of limitations that seem almost like this is still before you put your first note. But a lot of these are in conjunction with your first notes. And the next step really is to just jump right in, start writing. Don't edit in your head before you get paper on pencil. Just go. Just get stuff out on paper and then see what it's like after that. And have fun doing it. So that's some things you can try if you're thinking about writing for the first time. Uh, We want to thank you for listening to uh, this podcast, and we hope you come back and listen to us more. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, or offers to take us out to dinner or lunch or coffee, uh, just send those to coremotohorn at gmail.com, or if you're on YouTube, just go ahead and put it in the comments below. Make sure to subscribe to us on both YouTube and on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. But before we go... And remember what the great Wayne Gretzky said. You miss 100% of the saxophones. Uh, never mind. Do, no one ever misses miss saxophones. saxophones. No, nope. never. Bye. Bye. Bye.